we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. to another exciting episode of Gratuitous Sex and Violence, the podcast where one thing might kind of become another. Uh, I could be Orlando, but am I really Ned? Uh, is the sex really violence? Is the violence really sex? We're going to suss that out. Uh, I am joined, as always, by uh, Gratuitous Sex and Violence as uh co-creator, uh, host, and roommate, Orlando. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Kind of like a peach, but not. Yeah, yeah. That's the vibe. That's a real vibe. <laughs> I can't wait for my unmasking. Yeah, well, that's 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 always important. It's always important to know who one really is. Mm. Um, we have switched things around a little bit today because uh, today we are going to be diving into the movie Face Off. Face Off. Face off. <laughs> um, this is a 1997 American action film. Uh, it is directed by John Woo. Uh, it's written by Mike Werb and Michael Colieri. And it stars John Travolta, Nicolas Cage, and Joan Allen. And uh, in this movie, uh, in order to foil a terrorist plot, an FBI agent undergoes facial transplant surgery and assumes the identity of a criminal mastermind who murdered his only son. The plan turns sour when the criminal wakes up prematurely and seeks revenge. Yeah, none of this plot makes sense, but I don't <laughs> care. I agree. Like, so, so, so when I first saw this movie, it was like in the high school days, so mm -hmm. it had already been out for a little while, but yeah. like, I didn't see any of the trailers for it. It was just like a friend of mine was like, oh yeah, we're going to watch Face Off. Mm -hmm. It's like one of the coolest action movies. So I had no idea about the premise. Uh -huh. So I was just assuming that like the name Face Off was because it's just it's a face good, off. good guy versus bad guy and they're going to... It's a pun. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so I was astounded during the first time that I saw it with just like how literally it is about faces mm -hmm. coming off. Including... Yeah, it's like a sci-fi action thriller. Yeah, it's really weird, really twisted. Um, so, uh, I take it you have seen this movie? I have. I, too, saw it for the first time back in high school, and I've seen it several times since then. I'm a big fan of John Woo, uh, specifically, of course, his Hong Kong films, uh, Better Tomorrow, uh, Hard Boiled, mm -hmm. The Killer. Yeah. Great movies. Uh, so, the thing about John Woo is, like, whenever he made the transition to Hollywood, to America... You know, he never quite reached that level of artistry that he did with his Hong Kong movies. But if I were to seriously think about, like, which movie probably comes the closest to, like, it being an American version of his heroic bloodshed kind of subgenre of action, it's Face Off. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And and there's a, a pretty broad consensus about this movie that, mm -hmm. like, this was the movie that saw, like, the least studio interference right. of, like, all of his Hollywood work. Mm -hmm. um, 
he uh, the the movies that he had done before this one were Hard Target and uh, Broken Arrow. Broken Arrow. And Hard and Target's not too bad, but Broken Arrow is pretty. I mean, it's still fun, but it's a bad movie. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, I mean, certainly those movies. Uh, I actually haven't seen either of those yet, mm-hmm. but like certainly I've heard a lot of good things about Hard Target and about mm-hmm. how like even with all the weird studio interference, like it's still just like packed with his like signature. You know, just all his signature approach to action. And you get John so claude Van Damme on top of it. Well, that's so. the thing, yeah. And it's just like, it's all very, like, larger than right. life. Like, you Operatic. Know, just, yeah, like, and, and you know, just like a, a pair of pistols should not make any person go flying nearly as far right. as any pair of pistols does in a John Yeah, it's, film. it's ballet and opera. It is, it is. Uh, <laughs> gun-fu uh, mm-hmm. in, in the purest sense. Right. Um, so, uh, we are going to dive into the movie, and then afterwards, we are gonna talk about it a little more, do some trivia, and just really get into the nuts and bolts of all the sex and violence lying ahead. Um, I'm really excited, because I actually haven't seen this movie in a few years, so even though... I, I can re- I can think of like the iconic bits of it. Yeah. But um, as far as like in what order things happen specifically, I've forgotten. So yeah. it'll be a really good rewatch. Yeah, I think. yeah. I think this one's gonna be a lot of fun to revisit. Um, I am excited. I hope you are too. Yeah. Awesome, folks. We will be back in a bit. Uh, if you do want to watch the movie, uh, it is not available uh, to stream uh, as part of a subscription service. However, it is available for rent and purchase through the usual suspects of awesome. various purchase whatevers. So we hope that you all will join us. Uh, it is definitely worth the rent at the very least. And uh, we will be right back momentarily. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotions. Just sex. And we are back! We just finished. Back off. Back off. <laughs> back off. Watch your fucking mouth! Um... <laughs> we have uh, just finished watching John Woo's 1997 film Face Off. Yes, Orlando. We have. Yeah. Orlando, what are your thoughts? Um yeah, it's uh it's a blast. It's a it's a great it's a great time at the movies, honestly. It's uh it's it's interesting cuz like so 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 far we've seen two American takes on the heroic bloodshed subgenre of action. The other one was true romance. And this one, of course, was made by the master of heroic bloodshed. Mm -hmm. But it was interesting to like, I was thinking about all the parallels even between this and true romance, like um, the, the hotel room shootout in true romance. And then the apartment shootout in this are very similar visually with like, uh, furniture and just like stuff blowing up and going everywhere and the way yeah. that people move around and, and, and like floating debris right that just all like the slow motion blasts right. all over the place it's like, definitely yeah. like has a very like poetic sense to the violence um oh and of course at the church like that was like john woo iconic scene right there you have the you have the the doves you have the religious imagery yeah. And you have the Mexican standoff 
Yeah. Which you gotta have in every John Woo movie. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, there are problems with the movie. The thing of it is, like, for example, like how I was saying, like, the, the story is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. The concept of the story is totally ridiculous, but the movie doesn't really, um, settle on those details like i feel like the movie's more interested in the depth of the actual characters for the most part so you you your suspension of disbelief isn't tested as much as you would think with a concept so ridiculous i feel like you know yeah you once you get past the fact that they did the crazy sci-fi surgery swaparoo like the rest of the movie is like okay you're actually watching these guys and it works on, on a meta level too, because you're watching them, the actors play the other actor, yeah. but you're watching like these characters play each other in a way, which is totally weird. It's almost like a Victor Victoria kind of thing, you know, like it's like, you're a man pretending to be a woman, pretending to be a man <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it definitely gets very, very mind bendy. Um, uh, I, you know, I almost though think that like the emphasis on character for me, um, in, in terms of what a ridiculous concept right. it was for me, I think that actually like the, the direction that John Woo took in terms of really focusing on character actually in a way was more of a strength for me personally. Oh yeah, like, I, that's well, what like, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 that I think that like the because I I think there's a lot of hand waving going on. Like yeah. there's a lot of like okay, these are the these are the facts of how right. the surgery works and what they're doing. So right. you're like okay, fine, whatever. Um, but but I I that was one of the things that I I found I kept coming back to uh, and and that I really enjoyed about rewatching it this time was just like the the like how how deep John Woo goes into exploring this idea of what it means to kind of be on the other side of the coin um I I think that like he does such a good job of sort of like setting up this sort of like you know that like both Castor Troy and Sean Archer are these kind of like larger than life, yeah. you know, heroes to begin As with. As they should be in a John Woo movie. Exactly. I mean. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's like he, 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 he's very good and quick about setting up just like what a, what a bitter rivalry it is. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think he does a really, really good job of just sort of like giving us all of these details about what it means for both of them to suddenly be so submerged and immersed yeah. in each other's lives. Yeah, um, there's there's surprising depth in the movie. And yeah. Because it's a because it is like we, we were both talking about how Michael Bayish it was, especially like nineties Michael Bay. Yeah. And it does have that over the top, like super explosive violence going on. Yeah. But it definitely is so much deeper than a Michael Bay movie would be. Yeah, it's so much more character-driven. Yeah. And, and 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 that's what I really love about this is how bombastic it is. Mm-hmm. Like, in a way, I think, like, John Woo really did kind of... He, it's, it's clear that he really did, you know... 
he he kind of fused on both his his own like sort of Hong right. Kong sensibility along with like it making it feel like a very big like American right, Hollywood action style. Film. So mm-hmm. it's it's really a fantastic fusion of both yeah, sensibilities. Absolutely. And, uh, so it really is kind of the best of both worlds. And and like yeah, I think as far as like imitations of Michael Bay goes, like with the depth <laughs> that this movie brings, he he kind of does Michael. Or maybe Bay Michael, than Michael Bay, Bay was imitating John Woo. I mean, probably. You know? That's like let's be real. Like, <laughs> um, so uh, we're definitely gonna talk a fair bit more about the movie. There's, there's definitely a, a lot to. There's a to lot think to about. unpack. Yes. Um, but first, uh, we're gonna do some trivia. Oh yeah. How, how, how are you feeling about the trivia? You know, it 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 is a very deep movie. Like, yeah. there's a lot of details in both, not only like the performances, but just like the mezzanine so to speak there was a lot to keep track of yeah so i'm not sure how good i'm i'm gonna be at recalling this because i found myself like usually when when you've been uh first chairing these uh, i what i've been trying to do is like try to remember some details that i think might be questions but but the movie this movie was so engrossing that i just like ended up enjoying the movie yeah, so, definitely. So I, I don't know how well I picked up yeah, on we'll, stuff. Yeah, we'll see. I, I, I yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, there, there's yeah, there, there's one or two questions in here that are definitely very, very, very minute details. Mm-hmm. But um, we'll, we'll we'll see how it goes. Uh, we're going to be doing five questions mm-hmm. um, plus a bonus. Uh, the questions will be. Uh, Ordered, hopefully, from least difficult to most mm-hmm. difficult. Um, the first five questions will obviously be strictly within the world of the film. The bonus question strays a bit from mm-hmm. the world. Uh, and the grand prize is bragging rights! The grand prize <laughs> is bragging rights. Question number one. All right, here we go. Where did Castor Troy plant the dirty bomb that sets the film's plot in motion? Um, it was the L.A. Convention Center. Boom, you got it. All right. All right. Uh, L.A. Convention Center looks really, looks like a cool setting. It does look like a really big cool setting. Big open setting. Um, interestingly enough, the, the, they didn't necessarily put a lot of action there, though, which, like, considering what a big open area kind of looked like, it was like, oh, there could have been some opportunities here. Yeah, I mean, the... The, the film sets you up to believe that the climax is going to involve um, the bomb. The bomb. Yeah, and then that's... they kind of take care of it pretty, like in the middle of the movie. Yeah, that's something I really liked about it. Um, that uh, that was something I forgot about it watching mm-hmm. it this time around was like how quickly the bomb is disposed yeah. of. And and I remembered like during my rewatch of this, I was like, oh god, why why would they do that? Right. Like you know, the bomb has to be this thing that's there. But they did do a pretty good job for the most part mm-hmm. of. Um, of kind of keeping the momentum throughout. Um, yeah, there seems to be like uh, almost like the movie has two MacGuffins and one of them's a misdirect. Like the bomb obviously is like the first MacGuffin. Yeah. But then the second MacGuffin is really all about identity. Like this movie is really all about identity. Yeah, absolutely. And both characters, not just not just Sean wanting his identity back, but but uh, Caster is also like the whole movie he wants his own fucking face back. That's yeah. like the whole Ex- point. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, absolutely. Um, question number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, is actually another question about the bomb. Oh, okay. Um, question number two is, what is the name that Castor Troy gives to the bomb? Oh, uh, I think it was, if I remember correctly. And if, if this will help jog your memory. I think it was Sinclair. 
You got it. Okay. Didn't even need a little hint. Because um, I think because because uh, because uh, the the whole theme of the one of the other things of the movie is like saints and sinners. So I I, I remember that the bomb had something to do with that. And it was like ooh, sin Sinclair. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I like that that little mnemonic device. I guess mm-hmm. you could say. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Good call. Um. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, interesting uh, symbolism uh, just just oh, to yeah. do with like opposing, yeah, the the oppositional nature of the two of them. And that's something that he carried over, I think, from definitely from his Hong Kong work. Like his Hong yeah. Kong movies, even though they take place in Hong Kong, they're very Western religion. Like they're yeah. all about Catholics and stuff, and the use yeah. the use of churches and good and evil and different sides of the coin. Like that's all. Like mm-hmm. John Woo icons, like yeah, you know, very much so. A, a, a pretty simplistic view of morality, but at the same time, it's like these movies. It works. <laughs> these movies don't need that kind of nuance right. necessarily, right. And, and this one happens to be a pretty nuanced film, regardless. Yeah, I think because the nuance comes from somewhere else. Like that—that's the whole thing. Is like John Woo is like trying to, to tell us like these are the two extremes, almost like good versus evil. But even within good versus evil, yeah. there's still a lot of like soul searching and moral um, ambiguity to be had. Absolutely. Uh, question number three: How many years pass between the killing of John Archer's son and his eventual apprehension of Castor Troy? Oh, um. Uh, I'm gonna say five years. Uh, the actual answer is six years. Ah. Um, but just off by mm-hmm. one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I really love the opening of the movie. That's um, really, yeah, the opening's really cool. And I love how the movie opens and ends with a little boy. Like, that. It's, yeah. a, it's a good bookend. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. Um, also, a fun little fact. Um, so Nicholas Cage, when he signed on to the project, was mm-hmm. um, is actually a pretty big fan of Chow Yun Fat, mm. and um, so uh, Nicholas Cage actually made the call to have his look during that initial opening sequence where he shoots Archer and mm-hmm. kills his son um, to have it include the mustache as an homage uh. to uh, to a to a famous assassination scene from I think it was the killers mm, if I remember correctly. that makes sense um so so yeah I thought that was a cool little detail the uh the, the use also of the the long well in the opening it wasn't a long trench coat or a long coat it, that happened in the church but in the opening it was I guess like the covering of the of the oh, sniper rifle oh yeah when he pulls it and off. how it whips off and floats away and that's also I mean like the the whipping coats like it yeah, is very definitely. John Woo well, and and there is a great uh there is a great uh uh, wind-blown uh, trench coat shot uh, at the airfield yeah. when he yeah. first gets out of the pl- uh, the car right before right. the board. Right. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's all it's there. Yeah. Just, just <laughs> John Woo has the biggest fans. Right. Right. Like, um, absolutely. All right. Um, you are doing pretty well. I know. So yeah, far. I missed that um, one, but just by one. Sure. So I, I don't feel that bad. At least I didn't say like one year or ten years. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're doing good. Two for three. Um, question number four. Uh, during the scene where Castor Troy flirts with and gropes a singer in the chorus at the convention center, mm-hmm. what classical piece is being performed? Uh, that's That would be Handel's Messiah. Boom. Very nice, very nice. Specifically the Hallelujah Chorus. Exactly, exactly. I was, I was debating wh- whether to give you credit if you if your answer was the hallelujah that would have been like, <laughs> hallelujah <laughs> yeah <laughs> different different composer i know um all right uh question five 
Uh, what are archers and Troy's blood types? Okay. Uh, and you you want me to say specifically who is who, right? Uh, yes. Okay, so... Um, Archer is O, and I believe it's O negative. Um, and then Troy's is AB positive, I think. Uh, yeah, you got it. All right, great. Um, yeah, uh, I I had I had AB positive uh, was was how it was written um, in like in the facts about the movie uh-huh. when I was when I was you know doing the research for the quiz. Um, I didn't recall whether they specify AB positive. If in they just any said of the AB. dialogue, or whether they just said AB, so so I would have accepted just AB, but I think the intention was AB positive. Is there such a thing as AB negative? I guess so. That's a, I mean, maybe that's maybe that's why they never say it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, the this the blood type thing is actually an example of um, uh, a choice that they made to reflect like how opposed the two characters mm. are, um, because uh, O negative is the uh, is the universal donor blood mm-hmm. type, which is symbolic of Archer's role as a police officer to right. protect society. Right. Whereas uh, Caster Troy's uh, blood type of AB uh, is that of the universal recipient, mm. which is symbolic of his criminality and the fact that he is someone who takes from society without ever giving anything back. Yeah, that's a really good detail. Yeah, definitely. actually, and yeah. th- that level of thought I think comes through in in the movie. That like a lot of those details are very, I think methodical even to the point like where uh like whenever certain pieces of music are used at certain air points i think like that's also very yeah methodical and and, like yeah there's a fair bit of like classical music and right uh, going back to the beginning with the hallelujah chorus it's uh because like we have we established the the connection between like casters like i guess jesus complex almost in a way yeah and then at the end it's called back again when they're at the church oh yeah mm-hmm. and he kind of does a little shape of the crucifix right, right. mocking it but at the same time like you know playing it straight a little bit right too. uh awesome you're doing really well you got four out of five so surprisingly like, you are in really good shape for this yeah we have a bonus question right, as well bonus. Uh, this bonus question is is a blink and you'll miss it detail. oh shit okay. um so we'll see we'll see All if right. you blinked All right. um during the escape sequence from air one prison Dubov, Archer's co-conspirator, dodges behind a box bearing the corporate logo of a fictitious company from which 1993 sci-fi action adventure film? Hmm. 1993. Um. Yeah, that is a blink in your miss it because I was not even thinking about that. And yeah. so, like, there's the company logo and the and the company's featured in this other movie. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. Sci-fi ad- action adventure film. Yeah, from I, 1993. I'm gonna say InGen, because that's the only one I can think of. Jurassic Park '93. Ah, uh, well, uh, you'd be correct. <laughs> you'd be correct. <laughs> yes, that in fact there is a box that that Dubob d- dives behind, and I read and I read this uh, and I read this trivia factoid mm-hmm. about it because I didn't catch it during my rewatch. Yeah, right. Um, 
and and uh, so I was like, oh wait, this kind of has to be bullshit, or like right. that if or or that if it's like written as InGen, it must be like some other logo or yeah. something like that, like yeah. just generic sci-fi ish company name. Right. But then when I went back to look up the scene and to try to find it, lo and behold, it was the actual InGen logo with like the big I N and then the Gen in front. Face of Off it. is now in the same universe. So as yeah, Park. it's officially part of the same continuous universe, which I guess makes sense considering this like is Michael Crichton level sci-fi. It <laughs> is like that's the thing. Like this, this is like Westworld sci-fi. Yeah, this level of of genetic and and you know medicinal mm-hmm. modification is is pretty insane. So right. uh, yeah, that that makes sense. That does make a that's ton of pretty sense. brilliant. I think next time that I watch the movie, I'll have to look out for that. Yeah. Now, it, was it, there a practical reason for them like doing it? Was it, were they just reusing props or? I'm not sure. I didn't. I I wasn't able to find any. Was it like some sort of like homage? You know, I wonder. Yeah, I I have to wonder about that. Um, I mean, it it, it almost kind of could go either way. I mm-hmm. mean, certainly like the prison is definitely definitely has this very like you know gritty dystopic yeah. sci-fi vibe to it. It does. Um, it also it, what's interesting to me also is that it it feels very much like how prisons are portrayed in Chinese cinema also. Yeah. Cuz like in Chinese cinema like they're all like I mean it's very it's very fascist, yeah. which would make sense because it's China. Yeah. You know, but but so I, it, it was interesting to me that this this like prison like definitely had like those sci-fi fascist tropes. In fact, like their costumes and stuff kind of reminded me of the uh the 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 costumes in Star Troopers, a little, a little yeah, bit. definitely had a very, very strong um, aesthetic similarity mm-hmm. to Starship Troopers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's five correct answers on Woo! that quiz. So Braggy you rides, bragging practically rides. aced it, basically, mm-hmm. when all said and done. You have those bragging rights, but good. Brag off. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so uh, a really fun uh, thing that I learned. I, I think, like... The the thing that gets me the most about this movie is definitely uh, Nick Cage and uh, John Travolta's it's the performances. Best. Their performances are amazing, um, especially John Travolta. Yeah, I think especially John Travolta. I think he really takes the cake, um, both for like nailing Nicolas Cage's like sort of little subtle mm-hmm. mannerisms, but like doing it in a way that it's like you can hear that it's him right. while at the same time right. he's still trying to pretend to be Archer. Yeah. Um and also just like just like the stark contrast between like him as Archer and him as Castor yeah, Troy. Absolutely. Like because you it really like it really is this like hollowed out like tread on like performance that Mm -hmm. he gives like in the very beginning of the movie and then just the sudden onset of swagger when he's caster troy yeah it's like Um, like the dial is just switched yeah it's a really really fantastic performance it is Uh, And 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 the crazy thing is also i feel like a movie like this could very easily fall into camp category and honestly, both of their performances, while there are moments of melodrama because it's, again, a John Woo movie, yeah. it never veers to camp for me. Like, it's all played, like, 
just like really effectively, I think. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, definitely. There is melodrama. Um, yeah, not so much with the camp, mm-hmm. though. Like, they really do give it this, like, sincere oomph, and they mm-hmm. really play it straight. Um, Nicolas Cage and John Travolta did both spend two weeks of time just basically hanging out together <laughs> nice. like, before they started shooting. Um, just to, like, That would have been work, an experience. Yeah, just to, like, work out <laughs> each other's, like, little things and to sort of, like, just settle each other yeah studying each other and 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 figuring out like what you know what mannerisms they each wanted to adopt to nice. kind of uh, evoke uh, mm-hmm. the other's character um and uh yeah it definitely pays off um and i like nick cage's performance too what i noticed this time around is like how much uh how how much softness he gave when he was in archer's body or whatever like like he he obviously goes he he's great at being the bombastic operatic yeah yeah, nicholas cage but then when he when he when he inhabits some of that hollowed out shell that you were talking about like he really gives his the performance a really interesting softness i feel yeah i agree with that too yeah you can you definitely see that difference in nicholas Mm -hmm. cage uh as well and and i think especially just like he does a really good job of tapping into the horror that i think archer is feeling the more he the more he is able to inhabit caster troy's persona like you can tell that like he's really struggling with like the fact that he has to be this like absurd crude human being who is just so innately cruel yeah Um, like when he when he starts the brawl in the in the prison and there's like a moment where he breaks and he's like crying but then he just like psychs himself back out of it like that's those are really interesting moments yeah definitely um so when nicholas cage uh, first got the offer to play Caster Troy, um, he was he was initially going to turn it down mm. um, because he wasn't interested in playing a villain. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, uh, but he was uh, eventually convinced to join the project when they explained to him that actually. For most of the film, you're going to be playing the hero, right? Just like you get to play both. <laughs> um, which, which again, I think is just like it, it's it, it's weird because I think like. Like again, like these are kind. This is a kind of like hero villain archetype thing that mm-hmm. like has been here as long as the action film has been right. here. The whole villain being like, "We're not so different, you and right. I." Right, exactly. Like that. But like this movie, I think actually really does kind of take that all the way mm-hmm. in, in terms of how it how it really turns that whole conceit on its head. But yeah, like. Um, you know, just like just like the subterfuge that Troy is doing by right. like pretending to be the good guy, and in fact, like you know, he he really goes out of his way to like lead these raids on his old safe houses yeah. and stuff like that. Um, in fact, like the movie, uh, re- if you remove the sci-fi aspect of it, it kind of reminds me of uh, Infernal Affairs a little bit, which was uh, a Hong Kong crime thriller that was later remade by Martin Scorsese as oh, The Departed. The Departed, yeah. And there, it really has a very similar theme, like the themes of identity and double-crossing and, like, yeah. you know, not being, like, comfortable, like, because you're... You don't even know like which side you're on and stuff like that. Yeah, like so. Yeah, I, that's actually that's actually a really good observation. Right. Like yeah. actually, I would I I think that would be a good double feature, uh, The Departed and Yeah, yeah, and Face this. Off and The Departed. Yeah. They kind of fit together. They actually really do. Yeah, um, I would be really into that. Uh, mm-hmm. Brilliant observation there. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that. Um, I think that like for me personally, I did feel like the movie started to drag a little bit 
shortly following um shortly following the uh the attack on on Troy's like safe house mm. like um I felt like after that sequence for me personally it it, it started to kind of yeah I, I felt myself dragging a little bit especially because I think it's like the, it 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 took him a little while to then get past that beat to the beat of uh Troy being able to kind of or sorry Archer I should mm-hmm. say being able to get through to Eve to kind of right. like you know let her get her get her to realize what the hell is actually going on yeah the movie um, is a little too long i agree yeah with it's that. a big movie and and actually that's yeah that is kind of i think the bigger thing is that like it's a huge movie and a lot yeah. happens in like it. the final boat chase is uh, honestly unnecessary <laughs> they could have ended the whole thing at the church and it would have been fucking satisfying hmm Oh, that's that's a take. That's a take. I don't know. If, I don't know if I agree with that because I do like the boat chase, but at the same time, I I'm not sure how they could cut down. I'm not sure how they could cut down anything before then either. So maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe that does have to be clipped a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. I yeah. I, I like it. It's fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. But but I think that that's an example of of how the movie like overstays its welcome just a little bit. Yeah. Is that after you have like because everything at the church is again character driven. Yeah. And no, and then we have this extended boat chase that it's just filler action, bombastic Michael Bay shit. Maybe, you know, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, actually, maybe what they should have done is um, uh, maybe they should have uh, uh, done a little transplant of instead of the boat chase, taking the motorcycle chase from the end of Mission <laughs> Impossible 2. Have motorcycles. Yeah. And put that in and have it be half the length. That would probably have done the trick. Um, speaking. It's still of, a good movie as it is, though. I probably wouldn't change it, honestly. That's but, fair. That's but, fair. But it does feel a little long to your point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just a little bit. That's like my own little personal mm-hmm. nitpick i would say speaking of set pieces uh let's move on to our first gsv segment which is shots 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 nailed it uh we are talking about the gratuitous violence in face off and whatever one might say about the gratuitous sex of john woo movies you cannot deny the gratuitous nature of John Woo violence. Very, very violent. Um, so, uh, very stylized violence. <laughs> um, so, uh, I was talking with the, with you about this before we started recording. That uh, it seems like every time I end up first chairing, I always end up picking like one of these big bloated action mm-hmm. movies that has body counts that are a little <laughs> tough to keep track of. So yeah. I was not able to maintain a tally during the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, however. Uh, do you want to take a stab at uh, what the body count sure. might be? Um, there was a lot of just no names just dying left and right. Yeah, definitely. A lot of agents and criminals. Yeah. I'm still yeah, gonna... I think maybe more agents. Like right. A yeah. lot of, yeah, a lot of FBI guys really bite the dust in this one. I'm going to try to keep it to what I would say is a medium length because I'm, I'm, I don't think that it's as bloody as, say, Blood Rain, which was like 100 plus. But I also oh think... God, yeah. I also think that it's not like at the the smaller end of the spectrum either like i I would i would say that even like you know a dozen or 20 is even a little bit too low so i'm just going to give like a nice middle round number and hopefully i'm somewhere close to it i'm gonna say 40 
Okay. Not not that bad. <laughs> okay. Um so uh I I consulted three different mm-hmm. internet sources for the body count of the movie. Uh one of those sources said 56. Okay. The other two sources said 54. Oh, okay. So 40 is not too far right. off. Like, you know, only 15. Like, yep. that's, that's pretty good. Somewhere um, in the middle there. Yeah, somewhere in the middle there. Yeah, yeah. Definitely not up to 100. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, quite a lot. Quite a lot yeah, of carnage there are a going lot. down there. And a lot of memorable deaths. Yeah, a lot of memorable deaths. Um, do you have uh, Do you have any favorites or ones that uh, stood out um, to you? This time around, I really, even though it's he's a small character... I really like uh, Dietrich's whole vibe thing. His character, his pad was awesome. Oh, the bald guy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then his death was great. Like, his, like you know, he, he clearly is a family man. And, at the, and yeah. when he was dying... Maybe, he, maybe a little too much maybe of a, a family too, man. Maybe a little Game of Thrones of a family a man. A little Cersei and Jamie thing yeah, going on there. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but, or maybe he just knew that he was a dead man, so that was the kiss of death, you know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it could be. It could but be. Uh, but he protected his family from seeing him suffer or and die, which I thought that that was like going back to the heroic bloodshed thing. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that's classic. Like even the bad guys have a soul kind of thing that you find in all of John Woo's movies. You yeah, know? definitely. Well, and and, and I, I think to kind of extend that, because um, like while I'm not necessarily uh, I wouldn't say that I, I have as much knowledge about like, you know, the Hong Kong bloodshed genre as mm-hmm. a whole. Um, definitely the other big John Woo film uh, that I was constantly comparing this to was uh, was hard boiled. Yeah. That's like the only other one that Fantastic like, I'm movie. particularly familiar with. And, um, and yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely a considerable amount of like just villains who, villains who have like a very strong set of principles, Mm -hmm. um, and also villains who have like strong attachments that like, even if they are very immoral and, and partake in wanton murder and slaughter, they, uh, they still have people in their life who they care deeply about. Castor and Pollux is a prime example. Yeah, that yeah, that was that that was actually going to be my next point is um is yeah, that I I find that really fascinating that like mm-hmm. Castor Troy like on the one hand like his goons are very disposable to him, yeah. like he he kills Absolutely. his pilot like yeah. without a second thought. Um but at the same time uh there's Pollux who mm-hmm. he, uh, who he literally bends down to tie his shoelaces yeah. all the time, which is like a little tough. It is touching, especially Um, like I think like that's another memorable death scene that we get is uh, is Pollux dying and and his form of grieving or one of the ways that he grieves is by tying his shoelaces one last time. Yeah, definitely. It's a nice little touch. Those are little character like deep character touches that are just all over this movie. Yeah. And actually and and even just Pollux's fall through the ceiling is very well done. Um, There was a there was a a nerd writer uh, uh, video uh, that I saw recently uh, that was uh, recently put out about John Woo's action sensibilities, and and uh, he he actually pointed out that um one of the things that John Woo does really well is that he usually he usually shows the hit of each he usually shows big hits mm-hmm. multiple times mm. from different angles as right. a way of like reiterating the power right. of like the kick and mm-hmm. stuff like that, that he, he does a lot of that, like, you know, coverage from multiple angles yeah. just to kind of let the audience revel in just like the sheer power of these mm-hmm. hits and stuff like that. And, and yeah, like that, 
those the the coverage of like of Pollock's falling through the ceiling mm-hmm. um definitely uh, is evocative of I that agree yeah as well um actually fun little detail about um the naming mm-hmm. um uh so uh in addition to the detail about the blood types uh the names of Archer Castor uh Castor and Pollux are all, also do have some significance. Um so uh Sagittarius, uh one of the constellations mm-hmm. of the zodiac who is an archer is diametrically opposite to the constellation of Gemini, the two major stars mm-hmm. of which are Castor and Pollux. Right. Yeah. Yeah, um, astronomical knowledge there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's so it's really cool, and and the names are great. Honestly, like even like from a fictional perspective, like they're just like yeah, yeah. they're very memorable. Yeah, and, I'm not that good with names in movies, mm-hmm. honestly, most of the time. And and yeah, this is one that like you actually can really stick to them, and, right? And and hold on to them. Um, there uh, there are really only like four big set pieces that I can really think of in this movie where the majority of the action takes place. Uh, so we have uh, the airport chase. Right. Um, we have the prison breakout sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the attack at Troy's safe house. Yes. Um, and then finally the confrontation at the church and the boat chase, right. which are I kind of sort of put together as one, yeah. It's it's one two set, set pieces, piece. but one extended sequence. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just so much fun. Yeah, um, it is such powerful pistols that like yeah. make things explode and shooting with two hands like that's another John oh, yeah. Gun, thing guns akimbo mm, 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 mm. Um, especially those golden uh, pistols oh, that, that, those are that beautiful Castor had. those are beautiful fucking yeah, guns like I'm not you know I'm not necessarily a gun person but when it comes to violent films I am a gun person oh yeah they're those, just cool those are fucking cool what, what's interesting about that is like he has his you know his word he keeps his guns he has a little kit yeah, and like he, all his drugs too, yeah, and chewing gum. Yeah, like. little chiclets. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I was, I, I was kind of hoping. Um, well, that wasn't kind of hoping, but I, but I always kind of hope that we get to see him, like you know, picking up those chiclets and using some. But they're just there, you know, yeah. just in case he needs them. Yeah, you know, look, he he's prepared for many different conditions. <laughs> he is. Um, moving on to the next segment, which is. Boop tube. Talking about the gratuitous sex. Um, not that much in the way of gratuitous sex. Yeah, in no this nudity, movie. no sex. Um, in a way, I think the the most gratuitous thing sexually about this movie is Caster Troy on his own because he yeah. he really is such a sort of chaotic hound dog of a character. He's very horny. Yeah, very. And he's per- always touching women inappropriately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a very, very interesting vibe. But one of the conceits of the character is that women are into it because of who he is. I guess he has that power. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. One, well, and I wonder how much of that. I wonder how much of that has to do with just like whether he normally pays to surround himself mm. with willing women or something like that or right. whether that's just or whether that is just a part of a natural charisma that yeah, he his has crazy because, confidence well, and, and especially because like when when he when he has archer's face and he first comes home like it's interesting how like he he is putting on the charm with eve mm-hmm. and 
she is off put by it because of how uncharacteristic right, it is. Right. But also she does succumb to it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, oh no, too. he and seduces her, yeah. It's, yeah. Pretty easily, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 also like actually that that's a great uh transition to like talking about Joan Allen's performance. Um, Which I mean, uh, I, you and I know we've talked about her in in a reference to the Born Ide- uh, Born Supremacy and Born um Ultimatum movies yeah. where she plays Pam Landy. So you know how much of a Joan Allen fan I am. I yeah, love she's Joan fantastic. Allen. She's she's really really good. She's really um, good. And uh yeah, and I love her in this um I think just like she she just really brought this like like just this sort of lived in oh, yeah. sort of feeling to the marriage and the yeah. relationship like she just you know yeah she just she really captures that sort of sense of history mm-hmm. and just sort of like how much pain there is between the two of them and and the way and the way she kind of reacts to Castor and how he behaves differently and like just sort of like seeing the way she's processing it and working yeah. it out and sort of like that she... Because she's a doctor. She's a smart, methodical woman, you yeah. know? Yeah. Well, and also it's like, it, because I think like, it's interesting how like, there are certain ways in which, like, I th- I think like Castor, like Castor as Archer when he is with the family is predominantly not a good influence. Oh, and, no, terrible. And like, pr- yeah. But also at the same time, he does provide a certain level of affection that she's been, that 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 clearly mm-hmm. has been missing just due to the, the longer term struggles that they've been right. going through. And, and, and so I think Joan Allen does such a good job of like, you know, there is something in her that appreciates it, but at the same time can't trust it too. Yeah, and there's there's an interesting thing to be said there also about like how people change, you know? Like people are not monoliths. And when you're in a relationship with someone for a long period of time, like we have this perception that, oh, they've been together X amount of years, so they must really just like know how to make it work. But these are two people that are constantly changing that entire time. Yeah. You know, and sometimes the change brings them closer and sometimes it brings them apart and sometimes they're just like in a rut, you know, but, but part of the commitment of a relationship is that you have to work at making those two changing objects move somewhat in sync yeah and and it's interesting to me like you know like the the marriage life in this movie how that's portrayed it that's what it made me think of it's like obviously these two people they've gone through such a traumatic experience and archer reacted to that by throwing himself into his job and and the pursuit of troy and then she um she probably did the, the same you know she probably you know hit into her job also but you know she's kind of missing that home life that maybe they had before and that's so she's she's over it but there's like a lived in like you said shared pain that they have yeah that keeps them together yeah and so when when archer comes out of it at the other end first of all when he says that he's over it like no more he's still archer in that moment so so it gives her some hope right yeah and then he says i'm gonna go back she's disappointed when he comes back 
he's Troy, you know? Yeah. But but Archer already made that promise beforehand, this I'm going to change promise. Yeah. So even though it is like, oh, this is a different person, it feels like, but he did make that promise that he's going to change. Maybe this is who that what that change is yeah so it it makes her more willing to accept it i feel in that sense because again because of the shared pain that they have she's like oh yeah i'm 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 over it but i'm also in it like we have this marriage that we have to work out yeah and so it's really interesting like i i I can see her in her performance that how she like expertly like juggles all of those emotions yeah very much so um when uh when John Woo um, expressed that he wanted Joan Allen for the role, um, the studio initially wanted to say no to it. Hmm. And um, they, they in particular wanted somebody younger for the role. Um, and, uh, and, and John Woo <laughs> and the writers had to fight to, to keep her in the movie. And, and, and uh, not like she was even old. I mean, she was probably like in her thirties. Yeah, no, movie. it's just like a realistic fucking marriage. Right. Like, what do you want here? Like, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's. Plus that would have looked creepy because his teenage daughter was definitely played by someone in her 20s. Yeah. So that would have been creepy if like the wife and the daughter like looked the same age. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, that that definitely would have raised a few eyebrows. Um, I mean, it was already creepy how Troy Archer was like ogling his daughter, yes, in her underwear, yes, yes, and licking her face and stuff. That's uh, and creepy. and and I think on that note, um, <laughs> so that feels like as perfect a moment as any to drift on over into our third segment. Uh, that's, that's problematic. problematic. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's obviously not like the movie is trying to glorify that behavior, but Mm -hmm. like, it definitely makes your skin crawl considering his daughter is like still in school. Yeah, high school, right. Um, yeah, that, that definitely raises some eyebrows. Um, I mean, he is a villain to be fair. He's a bad guy. Oh yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Obviously it's not meant to be glorified. Um, it's just like. But, but at the same time, it's like, it definitely kind of makes your stomach turn a little bit, just like knowing the danger that she's in because right. he's there yeah. and there's no one to kind of, you know, protect her, get, get in there and protect her. Um, but, I he, but, but ironically, he does give her the skills to protect herself. Well, that's the thing too. <laughs> and, and, and that's, that's kind of what I what found myself interested in because I think that while again, like Castor Troy's influence on the family is bad for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, there is that scene where like when, when her date is like trying to rape her, he, you know, first he intervenes and, you know, gives him a solid whooping. Yeah. Um, also, so I was just a huge fan of how his method of getting him out of the car was to kick the window. Yeah, just, just shatter that glass. As, as opposed to just, you know, opening the fucking door or something like that. But, um... Uh, and also, but, in a way that, like, art, art imitating life, it was Danny Masterson who, like, you know, he was accused of raping pe- women in his personal life. Yeah. That's a little... Yeah. That's a little... Uh, well, that's a little... Uh, that's a little... <laughs> a little too close for comfort right. there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the fact that he intervenes on her behalf and, and, and I was particularly interested that like, he doesn't take advantage of her in that moment he doesn't. of the vulnerable state that she's in. He actually kind of levels with her in a way that her right. own father did. He connects to her. And, um, 
Yeah. But he's after the cigarettes, not her body. He is after mm-hmm. the cigarettes and not her body. This is very true. But also at the same time, he does give her the very knife yeah. that she then ultimately uses on him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it was very interesting to kind of see that 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 push and pull of his character. I think that that happens in both stories, right? Like you have you have Castor as Archer, po- even though he is a negative influence like we talked about, but... The, his actions actually positively influence his, uh, Archer's family, yeah. the daughter and and Joan Allen, his wife. Like you know, there there are ways that they both come out of it with new knowledge and or strength. Yeah, you know. And then on the other side, the exact same thing happens because I know we didn't talk about her in the previous section, but I would really love to talk about Gina Gershon as Sasha. Oh yeah, and, absolutely. Um, but the same thing happens over there. Like Caster, his new softened demeanor changes even though it's short-lived because unfortunately she does die but it changes her for the better her character i think like it's a positive in her life too so it's interesting again going back to that sense of identity yeah the, the movie is about like how like just even though these are the people that they think they're the same people but that that slight shift of identity inside of them really provides like positive growth for for both sides yeah it's interesting because because in both cases it seems like both characters find a way to kind of be the thing that the people in their life need them to be yeah in a in a way that they themselves are not able to do um and i find that so fascinating and and i wonder yeah, I mean, I, I wonder what that movie says about what what that says in the movie about like, yeah, just like the nature of like that there are certain things that you kind of need to hear from certain people yeah. in their life and 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 the fact that the person who finally says the thing isn't the person that you need right. to hear that right. from, um, but it's still meaningful. But it's still meaningful, and yeah, and it does affect change, yeah. and and it gives and it gives the people the tools that they need to kind of move on and and sort of overcome uh, those obstacles. Um, and yeah, and, and I'm glad you brought up Gina Gershon too because uh, she is fantastic. She's um, great. Yeah. We, we both loved her in uh, Showgirls. In Showgirls, yeah. a great performance. And another one here, and uh, yeah, another really good performance here. Um, uh, the only other somewhat problematic thing that I that I picked up on that I wanted to name check was um, the uh, the early death of two significant black characters mm. in the movie. Um, there is this kind of you know together, ever, yeah, together. <laughs> well, there's like the I death mean there is fire. there is well there is kind of like that you know that sort of weird Hollywood trope around you know black people dying early yeah. in a film and 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 those characters in particular were fairly compelling characters. Yeah, um, and. And while it made logical sense, it does make sense in the yeah. story uh, that uh, oh, uh, I'm just I'm just pulling the names again. It's so short lived that that you need to have <laughs> notes. Um, but uh, Tito, who's played by Robert Wisdom, who by the way I love in the show The Wire, mm-hmm. um, and Hollis, who's played by CCH Pounder, um, and uh, and yeah, they're both like really interesting characters, and the fact that they are both co-conspirators in this big plan. The too. only ones that know. The, the only secrets. ones that know, which again is like unfortunate. <laughs> Actually, the reason that they have to die along right. with Dr. Walsh, Walsh uh, played by Colm Fiore. Um, so, yeah, there is that. 
And, and so, yeah, like after those characters die, while it makes sense from a story perspective that those characters have to die in order to fully isolate Archer from any person who can speak to him and, and force him to have to, you know, find that help elsewhere. It is disappointing that, that we don't get to see more out of both those characters. Um, just I, Yeah. I do. It, I do think that there's uh, not enough um, people of color in general in the movie, which yeah. it, I, I just want to say also, I, I know that John Woo made the movie and I know that he comes from, you know, a country uh, where he, used other Chinese actors in kind of like Kung Fu kind of, you know, movements and stuff in his movies. And, and so it's hard for me to like criticize him for this, but there's one Asian American actress in the movie, um, Wanda, who, who is played by Margaret Cho. Yeah. And he had her do like Kung Fu kicks and stuff. And I'm <laughs> like, why are that's the kind of stuff that like white guys do, you know, like, that's, like yeah, why, why I, I is mean, she the only one that knows those skills? Like, yeah. I, I mean, I, I do think that like, yeah, she, she had, she had one or two pray prominent, like high kicks. <laughs> yeah. In there. Um, I, I, I do think that like uh, that, that I, I was willing to suspend my disbelief that like, that was just more of the world because again everybody is diving through the air shooting their guns right. and stuff like that so so I, I feel like I've definitely saw quite a few good kicks from from the other non-Asian characters to mm. be sure but I do hear what you're saying too um, uh, so so yeah I, I I think I think I, I I have a little faith in John Woo that that you know I I I feel his heart was all stumbling under- block come on come Hope. on. Come on. <laughs> we'll see. Again, well, and also, again, like, you know, he's definitely, you know, he's definitely dealt with uh, studio interference on a lot of yeah, his that's true. Hollywood projects. So who knows Who knows whether that had a hand in it or, or what have you. But, um, but yeah. No. Yeah, but I do wish that the movie was a little more diverse. Um, yeah. Because, like, even, again. Again, it's California. It's California. Yeah. Southern <laughs> California. And there aren't any Latinx characters yeah. anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere. I mean, I guess like you could you could make the argument that well, not really other than because, in the prison because like, right, in that, right in the background exactly like, because yeah. like Dietrich and Sasha even like they're coded as Eastern European uh, to me they're not coded as as Latinx either yeah yeah I didn't get I mm-hmm. didn't I didn't uh, get that sense either right so and and I'm like okay so he so Castor Troy works predominantly in Southern California or he's based there and he literally knows no. Gangster, and again, again, this is I'm just reaching here because they don't have to be gangsters, but he literally knows no Latinx gangsters. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or black gangsters. Yeah, yeah. I think there, yeah, I think there was like one hench, one black henchman right. in his crew, but like other than that, like yeah, everybody else in his crew is white. Yeah, um, yeah. Made, so. It made no logical sense. Like I, that's what I'm. I'm just dumbfounded, and that's something that I know that we've talked about this before, but. It's something that's not any better now, honestly. Like, there are movies that have, like, more Latinx representation, but I still feel, like, predominantly, like, when you have um, movies that are set in, uh, like, Southern California, even the ones that have more diversity, like, for example, uh, let's say just uh, Michael Mann... Mann's uh, Collateral, which has uh, Jamie Foxx and Tom Cruise, like... 
so you have like good representation there because you have like a black actor versus like a white actor. Yeah. And you have Jada Pinkett Smith. But the movie, again, is set in Southern California and you don't get like any like Latinx characters really. Yeah. Like very few. There's like yeah. maybe like one or two Latinx characters. Yeah. Well, there's like uh, there's like Javier Bardem's like brief appearance right. as as the boss. Right. Of of uh, cartel or something. Yeah. So. And it's like, you know, yeah. so that like California, like, you know, it's a very heavily Hispanic state. There's a lot of Latinx characters yeah, there. And so, so I just I think that it's interesting to me and kind of disappointing that I feel I feel like Latinx characters that that's that's one aspect where diversity and representation in Hollywood is like lagging even further behind like black representation. Yeah. I feel I don't know, like we're kind of like just taken for granted that okay, we don't have to be in the movie because people people will accept it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, and especially again, just like in terms of in terms of like storytelling. Like mm-hmm. if, if your if your story is set in California, then yeah. like yeah, it, it behooves you to, you know, be a little more in touch with the communities with the uh, you know, within which you're filming. Like yeah. so yeah. I think I think that's definitely a well taken point. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Um, were there uh, any other things that struck you as problematic in the movie? Well, we did talk a little bit about how like the movie seems to be a little too interested in some like incest from both <laughs> from both like the brother and sister, but also like the fake father and daughter. Yeah. Yeah, that that is definitely an angle that was. Yeah, that was very interesting. Yeah, right. Just again, like that sort of. <laughs> that little threat there um also i think just like i i think yeah you kind of like made that point earlier that like there is an awful lot of willingness or there's an awful lot of acceptance of of castor's own just sort of horn doggedness yeah um and uh yeah and, wi- to- and women welcome it like that's problematic too because i feel like yeah that perception that, that perception that, like, right yeah, yeah that that anybody would be that accepting i mean again it's like it's it's tough because like I think like when women are put in positions like that and they do have to at least play into some sort of neutral acceptance, mm-hmm. it's usually based on, you know, a fear of repercussions, whether it's like of their job right. or fear of violence against right. them. And and, and, and obviously a and, woman I think I feel like it's important to say that a that a woman can be accepting of those types of behaviors, but it's not it's not the type of thing that happens without an exchange of some sort of consent. And well, that's the thing. Yeah. And you can, you like, can or, or like make... a prior relationship. Right. Like if you have uh, some sort of prior established relationship. Um, and, and yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's interesting that like, we don't see the fear dynamic because again, right. I think Castor Troy is a dangerous human yeah. being. And, um, so then that's like the weird, like disconnect in my mind is like, so is, is Castor Troy the character? Cause we know he's a bad guy. Yeah. So, so of course he's gonna say like say and do really disgusting things, but is like we were talking about is this some sort of like weird confident charisma that he has? Yeah, where he's able to like read like the woman and because like for example the first one that we get is the chorus girl in the Hallelujah chorus. Yeah. She's like giving him googly eyes and stuff, you know, and then he's yeah. like and then he zeroes in, you know. Yeah. So. It's like, yeah, it's nasty and in real life that wouldn't fly because obviously you don't want to act like that. But in the world of this movie, like this fantasy character, yeah. like I wonder if like he just like instinctively understands that's like, oh yeah, she would totally let me just like yeah. do this to her. And then the same with like the agents on the plane, you know, like 
like he he starts out by saying if i were to get you flowers and he's like no wait let me rephrase that and because yeah. maybe there's like something in his weird twisted charisma charismatic mind that can read women on that level yeah well and uh, yeah and i think the agent on the plane is like a particularly interesting point because again it's like she's there undercover yeah so like she's playing a part herself yeah obviously she is yeah she has to keep up the ruse as much as possible and keep him off her back until they're able to make the arrest so so yeah it could have it could have used it could have used just a little more attention to those to those performances to see if there was a way to ground it more in like the reality of what that right. kind of behavior elicits. Yeah, it comes that like you. that to me is like it, one of the aspects of the movie that's even 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 more than the sci-fi aspect. That's a little more fantastical to me. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, <laughs> it is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Like it, it is fantasy yeah. in a way, and you kind of have to you have to remember that that's fantasy mm-hmm. and that that's not how the world works. Right. <laughs> so, um, so uh, final thoughts. Face off. Where where do you land on this? Do you think it was a bad movie? Do you think it was a so-so movie? Do you think it was good? Do you think it was great? What are your thoughts? I'm going to say just by virtue of how this film stacks up in John Woo's cinematography, uh, filmography, I'm going to say that it's good verging on great. But it is definitely, if we were just to look at his American films, I would say that this is his best film. Uh, And so I would say it's great in that context. I do think that the performances are great. I think that the action is great. I think that it has a lot of depth to it. I think that any other person uh, could have taken that ridiculous concept and made something like really campy and like not interesting but John Woo is just like looks at the source material and he's like okay yeah I can make this work <laughs> and he does like yeah it's, yeah. yeah it's a lot of fun so I would say because there are just a few little nitpicks here and there in the characterization the length of the movie and the fact again by virtue of the fact that John Woo had made at least three better movies in Hong Kong um, this is a good verging on great for me but it's still great. It's still a good movie. I, I yeah. will recommend it, and I will. I would love to watch it again. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I think this gets a good verging on great for me too. Um, I definitely am in agreement that there are you know a few nitpicks here and there, and there's a bit of a there's a bit of a dragging pace as we get to like the last third of the movie. Mm-hmm. I would say, um, but I think that like for me, this movie. There's a lot of nostalgia value yeah. to this movie for me. I feel like this film is very evocative of of this sort of bombastic late '90s action film. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of obviously we were we were you know discussing. There's a lot of comparison to Michael Bay to be had in yeah. this movie, um, and and I think that there's a lot of love that I have in this movie for the fact that it is a film that delivers on like big gratuitous action, yeah. but also does so with like with with the sweeping operatic beauty that John Woo brings to yeah. all of his projects. Yeah, a lot of style. Um, so, so there's like that stylistic side to it that John Woo brings to it that, I, that I'm very deeply enamored of. Mm-hmm. And also just like in particular, just like the 
the the ways that he found to like complicate the way the character's stories interweave and the way it really defies a lot of expectations. Yeah, it about, really does. About the idea of what makes a hero and what makes a villain, yeah. and and uh, he found a lot of ways to really complicate that throughout mm-hmm. this movie and to still tie it all together in a ridiculous premise yeah. that he yeah. manages to kind of land anyway. High concept, for <laughs> Very sure. high concept, very out there, very outlandish, um, but ultimately very fun and mm-hmm. very, very satisfying to watch. And uh, like you, I will probably watch it a lot again. Mm-hmm. And I will say, like, uh, even though we, we kind of... Uh, miss saying this one of the things that I will say that I respect about the movie because yes uh, we talked about how Caster's a horn dog and he generally doesn't treat women well but I will respect this of John Woo when you compare him to Michael Bay John Woo's camera eye like his director eye is not misogynistic like Michael Bay's is I, yeah, I'm actually really glad that you brought that up. And and again, like, yeah, and I think that that kind of brings us back to that, like, John Woo kind of does Michael Bay better than right. Michael Bay does. Right. Because, like, again, it's like, yeah, even if, even if this movie brings some dated baggage mm-hmm. as far as, like, you know... You know some of those some of those finer details mm-hmm. about how one of the characters treats women. Um, obviously, this movie has so much more nuance, yeah. and 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 there is so much more humanity right. packed into every single character. Ideas, period. Yeah, yeah, and and ideas, yeah. period. So so yeah, I think that yeah, we're definitely working in a realm that's a lot more human. Yeah, and and uh, and yeah. I think again that's another part of what makes this pop and what I think makes this movie kind of shine out mm-hmm. among all of these like big budget right. late 90s action films like I think this one this one I think will continue to kind of stand the test of time and will continue I think to, so too. To, to bring something it's interesting a lot of fun. To, that, to that era yeah and Nick Cage like you know say what you want about him as a performer but he definitely left his mark on 90s action we got him in Con Air we got him in which this which came out the same year like, really yeah Con, Con Air is a great movie too yeah. <laughs> uh, and of course uh, The Rock which is a which is a Michael Bay movie, but it's like actually I think his better his best Michael. Yeah, movie. yeah, I think yeah, I, I would I would say that. So yeah, Nick Cage like he was kind of rocking it in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, I I I'm a big fan of his work. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. glad we got to touch some of his work. Uh, oh yeah. On this show. He definitely fits, I think, that the, uh, the 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 feel that we're going for in the gratuitous sex Absolutely. and violence podcast. Absolutely. He, Nicholas Cage is some good schlock right there. Yeah. Um, and that uh, brings us to the conclusion of our show. Um, that was gratuitous sex and violence. Uh, us talking about Face Off, Orlando. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for uh, ceding the floor to me to lead us in this discussion and and for watching it and joining me. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> Thank you all. Uh, I hope that you will join me again soon to mm-hmm. uh, discuss another movie. And Fuck we hope, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And we hope that all of you out there listening will join us when we take on another schlocky, beautiful piece of uh, gratuitous violence and gratuitous sex. Uh, in the meantime, keep your face on and go watch some movies. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotions. 
Very best. 